Welcome to The Conversation. This podcast is produced by QSource as part of Medicare's quality improvement organization efforts to share information, educate clinical staff, and encourage improvement through best practices. Each episode discusses a topic that is timely and applicable to you, your staff, and patients. Over the past two years, there has been a significant increase in substance use disorder and the need for support services. In this episode, the conversation will explore how addiction is a chronic relapsing disease of the brain and as a community, and how we can be supportive of a person's journey in their recovery. Quality Improvement Advisor Angelita Hendrickson leads a conversation with Dr. Ryan Sarver, a family physician who specializes in addiction medicine and medication-assisted treatment for opiate use disorder. Now, let's get this conversation started. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Sarver. Before we begin, would you mind sharing with our audience a little bit about yourself? Hi, Angelita. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, you bet. Um, so I'm not a traditional student when I went to medical school. I actually uh, come from a pretty poor family. I was the first in my family to graduate from college. And unfortunately, I was a person who was involved in generational trauma in that I come from what I like to say is four alcoholic parents. Um, most of them are in recovery. So I've, I'm intimately familiar with the disease process itself, as well as what recovery can look like and that there is hope. And so I, whenever I, I meet with my patients, I bring that to our, our relationship and I'm able to build a pretty good rapport with my patients because I intimately know the damage that addiction can cause, but also the hope in recovery. Absolutely, absolutely. So before we get in to the conversation about ending that the stigma, um, could you share with our audience how addiction is considered a chronic relapsing disease of the brain? Absolutely. Yeah, so this is where really the forefront of science is right now. Um, we know that there are areas of the brain, such as the nucleus accumbens, which is responsible for reward uh, signaling. Um, becomes mismanaged in the brain of those who suffer from addiction and and really it, animal models and human models alike show that uh, uh, people who suffer from addiction will give up uh, anything and everything family friends job including their own life in order to activate this part of the brain over and over again if they can um, because of this we recognize just like in diabetes where you know you have a, a, a pancreas which isn't working anymore uh, for type 1 diabetes or that's overburdened in type 2 diabetes uh, there's medications which can then help with that diseased organ and people can live a normal life same thing with addiction we now have medicines where we can give these medicines to people and they're not walking around high all the time they just feel normal and they can go and live a normal life wow. One of the largest barriers to those suffering from addiction is worrying about how others uh, view them. And as a community, how can we be supportive and assist in eliminating this barrier? I think that the, the biggest work has to, has to do around changing the idea that addiction is a moral failure. Uh, people who suffer from addiction often do horrible things and those actions uh, those, you know, those traumas that they cause to their loved ones around them or to the community with theft or whatever it is, that is, that is real. However, the disease itself is not a moral failure. So those who are actually going and trying to improve their lives, 
we need to really lift them up and support them. And, and these are people who no longer want to be part of the life of traumatizing those around them. And we can't hope as a society to get better with the opioid epidemic unless we recognize that these are people who want to heal. There are medications that can help them heal and really encourage them to go out and seek and get treatment. Yeah. So what types of things can families and friends do to be supportive of them in their healing process? You know, I think that it really is going to depend on the family um, and depend on where that relationship is at. If the relationship is strained, that's going to be hard because maybe there's some some trauma there that that needs that needs to be dealt with. And for those who have been traumatized by by family members or friends who are active in their addiction, that may not be a, a realistic goal. However, for those of you who have a close relationship with somebody who's an active addiction, um, then you can be supportive. You can say, hey, there are treatments for this. If you want to get better and you want to make different choices for yourself, you want to have a life for your children or for your loved ones, here's a list of resources or better yet, I'll go call the doctor's office and make you an appointment. Or here's a number to a peer recovery coach or certified recovery specialist who can give you all the options for seeking treatment. Yeah. Speaking directly to the family and friends of someone with addiction, what advice would you give them to help them in that stigma? And again, I think this is going to depend on, on the, the family member or friend we're talking to, but really to change the language we use you know uh so, some of the old timers in na are really proud of the fact that they're recovering addicts so they'll refer to themselves as addicts um for those who are uh just coming out of addiction that's kind of a dirty word for them because they have they don't have that experience of overcoming it so it's it's still the demon on their back and so we change the language and say people suffering from a brain disorder, you know, because addiction is a chronic relapsing disease of the brain. So these are people who are suffering from a disease. Once we understand that and we remove that, that moral ethical quality of the word addict from our vocabulary and from our thought processes and from our, our prejudice and discriminatory behaviors towards people who are, who are active in addiction or who suffer from addiction or in recovery, we can start to heal and people will start coming forward. I mean, I have people I've worked with, trained with, who have been active in addiction and they let me know secretively, but they would never let anybody else know around them because they're too afraid of what people will think of them. Until we change that as a society, we can't hope to help people get into treatment because they feel as though they'll be stigmatized, that they will be looked down upon, that they will lose their jobs, their families, if they come forward and say that they are active in addiction. And unfortunately, they wind up dead. Yeah, unfortunately. Please share with us how maybe that cycle of shame increases the likelihood of relapse, because when you were talking about people basically suffering in silence, you know, um, tell us how that also affects yeah, the likelihood of relapse. Absolutely. So uh, people who suffer from addiction often will use their drug of choice at two times. One, to celebrate their victories, and two, to drown their sorrows. Other times are just to feel normal. 
So those who are, are heavily active in addiction, they will use it daily so that they can feel normal. However, those who are uh, trying to recover, who are in recovery, know that their coping mechanism used to be to use a substance to alter the reality so they don't have to deal with the stress of whatever life has thrown at them. So when people who are active in addiction or who are early in recovery um, come up against a life event that causes them to feel shame, they want to escape, just like you or I want to escape from that feeling. Those who have healthy coping mechanisms, such as, you know, hanging out with friends and family, uh, journaling, exercising, uh, gardening, whatever your hobby is that you can, you have an outlet for that stress. We don't go and use drugs. However, for those who have addiction as a brain disorder, their coping mechanism is to go and use. So when we increase their shame by calling them addicts or looking down on them or saying, I can't believe you're one of those people, their response, of course, is going to be to escape from that shame and the coping mechanism they know the best is to go out and use. And with today's climate of what's available out there on the street, unfortunately, that will often carry with it a death sentence. Yeah. So how does someone go about researching the best treatment for themselves or for um, a loved one, you know, looking for a provider that does provide the medicated medication assisted treatment. You bet. And just to let our audience know what medication assisted treatment is, uh, medication assisted treatment is three specific medications that's used to treat specifically opiate use disorder. So those who um, have dependency or addiction to opiates, um, you can go to the SAMHSA website or buprenorphinetreatment.org or findtreatment.gov, I believe. Ibuprofenorphine treatment might be .gov. Don't quote me on that. Google it. It's very easy. You can type Suboxone treatment in and it will come up. That's one of the medications used for medication-assisted treatment. Uh, there are a list of providers. If you go to the SAMHSA website, which is a government website, you can type in Suboxone treatment and that website will pop up at the top of your Google search and you can find treatment relatively easily. Um, most people don't find treatment that way. Most people find treatment uh, through a friend. So they'll have a friend who has, has Suboxone or they're buying Suboxone off the street because they don't want to feel sick. It's a medication that doesn't, some people get high off it, but that's rare. People usually just take it so they don't get sick because they don't want to use their heroin or their oxycodone or their Percocet anymore. And they can ask their friend, where can I go get treatment? What you need to know now is there used to be a climate of doctors only taking cash for Suboxone and that it's that's different now. So now uh, doctors, providers, nurse practitioners, physician assistants uh, take all insurances and will provide MAT treatment. So you could see your family doctor and just let them know. Some people who are suffering from addiction don't even let their family doctors know that they that they're in addiction because they're ashamed and they don't want to tell them. Tell them. If they don't can't get you treatment, go find it. There are doctors out there and PAs and nurse practitioners who will. Okay, great. That is so good to know. Well, besides the medication uh, treatment, what other types of support groups that, you know, what are different modes of treatment that are available out there for the different addictions? You bet. So some of the ones that have been around the longest are uh, the 12-step recovery programs. Um, those are your Narcotics Anonymous, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, 
um, you know, smokers, non users anonymous for probably every addiction. Um, in addition to that, if you're a uh, uh, Christian and you want a, a religious uh, back, background, then you'll there's Celebrate Recovery, um, which those are all recovery groups. If you're looking for professional counseling, which if you're on medication assisted treatment, you should have professional addiction counseling, uh, then there are many groups. You can go online and, and find there are ones via Zoom, ones in person. There's groups uh, where you can go in group therapy, individual therapy. There are so many options out there. And most of the time it's covered by insurance or Medicaid. So a lot of people don't know that they say, I don't have insurance. Well, if you don't have very high income, then you can get Medicaid and Medicaid will pay for all of this. I think some of the things that I've heard in the past was that people who uh, suffer with addiction is that they don't want to go through the detox process and uh -huh. they, they have such a fear of it. Uh -huh. It's almost like that's overwhelming in itself. And, do you mind sharing with us what a first appointment with a new patient might look like and what types of things do you discuss? You bet. And uh, detox is different for every medication. One of the harshest detoxes is probably from alcohol. Um, and we actually have uh, some pretty good medications so that people detox slowly and safely. A lot of people don't know that uh, if you are a chronic uh, drinker, then you're actually at risk for seizure if you stop drinking immediately. So I don't recommend that. I recommend going to your doctor and speaking to them about a treatment. And then you put you on medications, which will reduce your likelihood of having a seizure if you stop drinking or come up with a, with a weaning program from the alcohol with you that will be safe. So that's for alcohol. For opiates, um, unfortunately, you do have to detox off of them. For heroin, that's a nasty detox. However, it's over relatively quickly. We're talking in terms of days. If it's methadone, that detox is very harsh and can last over a week. Um, for the uh, most of the pills out there, you're looking at probably two to three days of detox time. Once you're in mild withdrawal from the medication, or from your your, uh, your your drug of choice, we're talking opiates, then you can start a medication like buprenorphine, which is Suboxone, Subsolve, uh, Subutex, those medications. If you don't wait until you're in mild withdrawal from them, then they will make you violently ill because they'll place you in a withdrawal. One of the neat things about Suboxone as a medication is it's something called a partial agonist, which means it doesn't turn that receptor on that, that the opiate that you're using turns on. It doesn't turn on all the way, only half the way. So people don't get as high and it doesn't give you the same risk of overdosing and dying from respiratory depression or stopping breathing. So it's a much safer medication. However, because it's a partial agonist, it will take your full agonist and it will knock it off that receptor come on to play and take you from full to half and you are going to withdraw. So yes, you will have to go through the de detox process. However, you don't have to go through full detox. You only have to be in mild withdrawal. So you can actually see your provider the same day you used that morning and they will give you a prescription for a medication that you can take as soon as you start feeling your withdrawal symptoms. You take a tiny bit. If it makes you worse, you know you're not ready and wait until you're in worse withdrawal. And when that Detox starts getting bad. You start your medication and start feeling better. Wow, that's pretty cool that it's that that you can get right involved from a doctor's appointment with that prescription. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So, um, 
back to ending the stigma and, you know, working with the community at large, um, what are some ways in which you have um, connected with those providers out in the community and, and work together in having a safe, uh, safer uh, community, I guess, uh, mm -hmm. for those people suffering from addiction? Yeah, personally, I like going to a lot of the local meetings. Um, I think Hoosiers in Action just had a meeting that I, that I attended. Um, I actually just uh, started working with uh, IHC, which is the uh, free health clinic in Seymour, uh, to help them get an MAT program up and running because they see everybody, no insurance sliding scale. So really, at this point, as uh, an MAT provider, we need to increase ourselves. We need to get out there. So as many people as I can reach out to, I'm working with the mayor's department right now, uh, the office of the mayor in order to, to um, connect with our hospital to get a vending machine uh, for naloxone uh, in our uh, hospital lobby. Um, anybody and everybody you can connect with, we, we have to do it. Too many people are dying. I don't think we said so far, but more people die from an opiate overdose every year in America than die from car accidents. So it's 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 that it's that bad and it's that serious. I think over a hundred thousand people died from a drug overdose last year. So it's it's up there in the top five killers of Americans. And if we don't step in and do something, it's not going to get better. You're absolutely right. Well. Thank you, Dr. Sarver, for all of this information. It was so informative to come to the podcast called The Conversation. So is there anything else that you would like to leave us with about today's topic? It's been my pleasure coming. Thank you for having me. I think that I just want everybody to know that uh, addiction is, is addict, there aren't addicts out there. That doesn't exist. We, we're all addicted to something. I mean, how many times are you looking at your phone, you on Facebook? I'm over here, you know, drinking my coffee. Uh, people drink as a coping mechanism. They, they are addicted to relationships and gambling and, and sex and you name it. Some people that just gets worse or they use a substance which really just alters their entire life and then they can't stop using it. And they can't stop using it otherwise they don't feel normal. So just know that there are no addicts really. We're all addicted to something. At least most of us are. A lot of us are better at co healthy coping mechanisms. But those who are suffering from addiction, who are using these substances as an unhealthy coping mechanism, they can get treatment. We need to get them treated. Because we don't, we don't want them to die anymore. So yeah. Yeah. thanks we for having me. We all have our own. Yeah, we all have our own addictions. That's for sure. So yep. thank you again. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining the conversation. If you found this conversation of interest, we encourage you to join the conversation by visiting us online at qsource.org forward slash podcast. The conversation was produced by QSource, the Quality Innovation Network Quality Improvement Organization for Indiana, under a contract with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Contents does not necessarily reflect CMS policy.